0: This, this probably looks a little funny, uh, a bit unusual. I mean, if you've watched anything on a screen before, you, you probably know there's a, a better way to do all this. So, so let's make some adjustments here. Uh, first, uh, let's fix the, the, the camera settings. Uh, maybe one more. Okay, okay, that's, that's better. Now, now let's, let's fix the audio so that you can hear me a bit better and clearer. That's that's sounding good. And then I, I mean let's let's take care of this room a bit and, and fix the, the lights. Okay, that's that's not quite it. Let's try again. All right, now now we're getting somewhere. Maybe one last thing we could do is just fix the screen a bit, uh, just just the coloring here. So let's just just correct that just a little bit. There, there we go. That's that's a lot better. So, so here's what we know. What we know is that I have not moved. I've been in the same room with the same clothes, and I, I did not change this whole time. But how you saw me and how you hear me did change. And, and you know, could, could you imagine spending this whole time experiencing this instead of acknowledging how to better use the settings of the room, the camera, and the audio to get back to this here? See, this helps me understand something that I think we all need to discover about the Bible. There are settings for fully understanding and properly using the Bible to get to know the author of it. That's what this is all about, to know Jesus through scripture. So today, we're gonna talk about how to read the Bible, the the why and the how of something called interpretation. There are some significant sections in the Bible that deal with something called false teaching, and in one of those New Testament letters, in 2 Timothy, one of the things we see there is this instruction. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So here is my basic idea today. There is depth we miss, and danger we enter if we don't handle scripture properly. So just like there's an art and a science to to bringing video to a full and rich experience for our eyes and for our ears, there is also an art and science to understanding, interpreting, and using the Bible. Now I realize that over the next few minutes, there may be a lot that causes you to go, that's that sounds hard. That sounds like something that I might agree with, but I don't know if I'm going to do that. I have this friend that tells me it's not really helpful for pastors to say, go and read your Bible because it, it's 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 like uh, the world of physical fitness. He compared it to how, you know, it'd be like a bodybuilder coming in who's, you know, fully jacked going like, hey, you should go to the gym. And for me, I'm just sitting here on the couch out of shape with, with my potato chips. Like it just takes me so far to get to where you are or to where it looks like you are, so I, I, I realize that that's some of what is, is is bringing into this talk here. But but here are my thoughts coming into this. Let's say this pie chart represents everyone listening who's a follower of Jesus. So that's our 100%. I figured let's say that that 50% would say that being regularly in Scripture is something that they desire. Maybe the number is higher. Maybe it's lower. I'm not sure. This is just this is just my estimation. Now out of that 50%, how many have the time? the motivation to put effort into deeper study like we are going to talk about for the rest of our time today? 10%? Maybe maybe even less? Like, this is my tension. Are we going to present something to 100% of people that really only a nerdy niche wants to hear or will, or will find useful? So here's what helped me, though. If there is the fact that there's only kind of a small sliver of the pie chart that's ready for the how of this talk, I do think there are a few things that make it relevant for 100% of us. First, we all have a calling to pass on the Word of God. We all have a calling to make disciples. And we're not going to unpack this one. That was, that was the previous part of this series. But that's for all of us. That's 100%. Secondly, we all will encounter challenges to the Word of God. We all will. And, let, and that's what I want to unpack. See, if, if, if 100% of us, are, uh, these two things apply to, then maybe there is something in the why and the how of handling the Bible carefully. So in light of that, let's just talk about a few variables that, that contribute to the, the challenges that, that are, are a part of, of the reality of, of the Bible. First, the Bible has complexity. Like at some point, we are going to run into criticism of it. Either someone else or we ourselves will will challenge or or even attack it, and this is partly because there there are difficult and confusing things inside it. One author, the author of Winnie the Pooh, wrote this. I came across this quote this week. The Old Testament is responsible for more atheism, agnosticism, disbelief, call it what you will, than any book ever written. It has emptied more churches than all the counter attractions of cinema, motor bicycle, and golf course. Like, you can, you can start to see, like, oh yeah, I've, I've heard that. Like, this is where we run into those accusations that the Bible is, is anti-science or anti-women or, or, or pro-violence, pro-slavery. It's, it's, it's irrelevant. It's intolerant. It's, it's a bunch of myths that we need to move on from. And you've likely run into this already. Like, think of just social media. There's there's memes that point out that many Christians don't fully understand what's in their Bible. And if they did understand it, they might be pushed away from Christianity. Again, you can encounter God all throughout Scripture. But sometimes, in some places, it's easier and it's clearer with the right settings. I love that there are places in the Bible that really actually acknowledge this. In one of the New Testament letters, one of the authors, Paul, is talking about another biblical author. or Sorry, Peter is talking about Paul and and the wisdom that God gave Paul. So look what he says. His letters, Paul's letters, contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do, the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Like, like notice how there, there's an acknowledgement of difficulty in some of the places. But there's also encouragement to grow, to work towards death, and to avoid danger. A second variable with all of this is that we have baggage. We could spend all of our time here, but consider just some of these things from, from the list of, that came to my mind when we read the Bible. We bring our view of God. We bring our religious tradition, we bring our current cultural values or our current cultural or global situation, our family of origin, our friends, our social media feed, our past, our educational background, even how we're feeling in the moment. And there's lots more. We need to realize that when we come to the Bible, that we we are coming with a ton of things that could get us into trouble or cause frustration or, or cause confusion or delay when we enter in. And a third thing, a third variable at play here is that we have an enemy. One of the things that Christianity acknowledges is the presence of a spiritual realm, and one of the dynamics of this is the existence of evil spiritual forces. In the Bible, we see one such force at work in the person of Satan. We're told by Jesus in John chapter 10 that he's like a thief that comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, and one of the main ways he does this is by twisting what God says and attempting to get us to buy into a misinterpretation or a lie. We see this all the way at the start in our first encounter with him in the Bible in Genesis 3. What does he do? Comes to the the first humans. Did God really say? Did God really say? Already twisting it. Jesus himself encounters this. Look at Matthew chapter 4. The devil took him to the holy city, took Jesus there, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. He's using scripture here. But then Jesus responds with Scripture, again it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Imagine if Jesus bought into this misinterpretation. It would have been a disaster. It would have led him away from God's good purposes in the world. And so too it can be for us. So so these are some of the variables that contribute to the reality that there is depth we could miss and danger we could enter unless we handle the Bible with care. So today's talk is going to be not so much a talk from the Bible, but a talk about the Bible. And my hope today is that by briefly acknowledging some of the guidelines, some of the settings that we could use for getting the most out of the Bible, we'll accomplish two things. Two things that have been accomplished for me as, as I've worked through this process. Number one, I've discovered that the Bible is more powerful and beautiful than I thought. And secondly, I've gained tools that have helped me help others who have been hurt or confused by the Bible, and I hope our time today does that. So let's try to make this helpful, and I'm I'm admittedly compressing what whole textbooks and college courses try to do into a very short space, but here are three questions that I would like us to consider when when we come to the Bible, three questions to bring with us to use and to explore. These are the questions, what does it say? What does it mean? And what is my response? This is a paradigm for handling carefully And we're going to take a look at each for the rest of our time. I'm going to describe what they mean just briefly. And I've deliberately, you'll notice, I've included the word prayerfully in my descriptions of each of these three steps. Why? Because we cannot forget prayer here. One of the gifts Jesus has given us is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And in John 16, we're told that one of the things the Spirit does is guides us into truth. So we need to take advantage of that. I love what Jen Wilkins says about this. Prayer is the means by which we implore the Holy Spirit to take up residence in our study time. Without prayer, our study is nothing but an intellectual pursuit. With prayer, it's a means of communing with the Lord. Prayer is what changes our study from the pursuit of knowledge to the pursuit of God himself. Again, the Bible is something that leads us to Jesus. That's the point. So let's unpack these three steps. Step number one, what does it say. This is where we prayerfully work towards understanding the original and intended meaning. This has to be the first step. I know we like to rush to step three, like what's my takeaway? What do I do? What's my response? What's the application? But before we can understand the text today, we have to understand the text back then. There's value in understanding the proper settings for coming to scripture because what we're reading was originally written to someone else who lived a long time ago in another part of the world, or they didn't speak English, and they, and they had different cultural values. This, this wasn't written in Canada in 2022 with people who only read it on a piece of glass in their hands. As has been pointed out, the Bible was written for us, but not to us. And, and this might be, this first step might be the hardest one, for us to get outside of our world and into the world of the Bible. Like, it's, it's hard enough for us to get outside of our own world and, and get across to the world of somebody who's on the other side of a keyboard, like I was listening to a, a comedian commenting on the state of the, the polarized and, and divisive way that the world is, is, is experiencing life right now and saying, look, we're all just trapped in different algorithms. Algorithms, of course, being you know the way that the internet and social media platforms push us information based on how we interact with those platforms. And it's like, look, I know exactly what you're going to say, how you're going to say it, what you believe, because I've seen what you're clicking on, and what you're clicking on is creating what you believe. We're all just kind of trapped there, and, I, and I'm wondering, that makes this, this discussion about truth about right interpretation so hard because how do we talk about truth in a time where there's so many opinions, so much noise, and there's such a distrust in any sort of authority? How do we know that our interpretation is more accurate than someone else's? So look, I think one of the takeaways for me uh, when we come to this first step is to come with humility and to come with openness with this posture that, look, I could be wrong. If we've never had our theology or our beliefs or our interpretations challenged or adjusted or corrected ever, then then maybe we need to take a second look at our approach to the Bible. The Bible is written for us but not to us, and so we need to know there is a process to take. Listen to this helpful quote. Because the Bible is God's word and it has eternal relevance, it speaks to all humankind in every age and in every culture. Because it is God's word, we must listen and obey. But because God chose to speak his word through human words in history, every book in the Bible also has historical particularity. Each document is conditioned by the language, time, and culture in which it was originally written, and in some cases also by the oral history it had before it was written down. Interpretation of the Bible is demanded by the tension that exists between its eternal relevance and its historical particularity. So look, I realize most of us, myself included, we're not experts with tons of time or resources for research, but I do think we can all learn and use a few basic questions to work towards the original and the intended meaning, to get at what does it say. So here's, here's three questions I would suggest. What is the setting of the text? What is the style of the text? What is the structure of the text? Uh, I'm putting a lot into each of these words. There's whole fields of study uh, that go into each question, uh, but they, they give us a lot to work with. Like the setting of the text, like when was this written? Where was it written? What was going on in the world at the time? What were the the values? What were the expectations? What were the practices of the time? Think of how this might help us get at what did this text mean? How did these first people hear it? Like I think of Revelation chapter 3 where Jesus has these words to a church in in a place called Laodicea about being lukewarm. And he's like, I'd rather you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. What might be helpful to know is that he's he's, he's he's making a point using the geography of the time. There was there was a city uh, that had nearby that had hot water, and that water was useful. There was another city nearby that could pipe in cold water, and that water is useful. But because of where this city was, it by the time the water would go from hot and be piped to them, or go from cold and be piped to them, it would be lukewarm in their town. Jesus is saying, you're like your water, and your water causes people to, to, to spit it out. It's nauseating. It's not useful. Hot water is useful. Cold water is useful. Lukewarm is, is not useful in your setting. And he's making a point using their geography. Sometimes asking these, these questions about the setting of the text help us understand how the text was heard. A second question, though, you know, on the style of the text, we need to realize that out of all these 66 books that make up this Bible, there are a lot of different genres. And we read them differently depending on the style they're in. So when we read things like in in the Psalms about God, you know, hiding us in the shadow of his wings, we don't take that to mean that God is like big bird and he's got feathers and he's, you know, he's going to have these these big things that, that surround us. No, it's poetry. And so we read poetry differently than we would read, say, the Gospels. And we need to understand that there are different styles and different styles have different guidelines. And then finally, this question, what is the structure of the text? This is just my word to, to, to stuff a whole bunch of things in here. It could be the original language, it could be grammar, it could be, you know, repeated words, keywords, but most importantly, perhaps, where does, where does this verse fit in with the surrounding verses? And this helps us prevent uh, one of the main dangers and a common use of the Bible, and it's this term, proof texting proof texting. And this, this, this whole step, this first step, gives us confidence that we are not going to do this. This is one of the basic dangers. This is where we pull a sentence or a single verse out of its home in a, in a way that sets us up to distort or misrepresent its meaning. Because look, the context in which every sentence and every verse lives contributes to its meaning. As I once heard, a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text which is a fancy way of saying if we take a verse out by itself, we're set it up to make it say something it might not. I appreciate what one author says about this. A Bible verse taken on its own can be misunderstood and misinterpreted and used in all kinds of ways that have nothing to do with the original meaning. This is one of the primary ways we see the Bible being used against itself, by critics of the Bible. A verse is pulled out and placed on a visual or a meme, possibly even a rented billboard. Those who see the verse draw conclusions based on the current context in which the verse is seen and read in isolation from the original context of the Bible. Sadly, it's not just those who attack the Bible who do this. Bible-believing Christians do the same thing. We choose the nice happy verses for t-shirts and coffee mugs. Look, as I've heard many wise mentors of mine say, context, 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 context is king. If we are going to pull one verse out to use it, let's be sure we know what the surrounding paragraphs at least are about. So this is step one. What does it say? Moving towards the original meaning there and then. And that gives us the perspective we need to properly understand it for here and now, which is step two. What does it mean? This is where we prayerfully work towards translating the original meaning into our current moment. And we, we do this knowing that sometimes there will be room for debate. The, the truth is that some Bible passages uh, will call in more questions than others, and they're not always that easy to explain. There might be multiple opinions, multiple options for interpretation. And usually, though, these are not about core truths. So we need to realize how, how heavy is the conclusion that we're, that we're drawing here. Is it, is it okay to have multiple options or not? But here's some suggestions for translating the original meaning into our current moment. Two other questions we could ask. How does the big story make sense of this text? And secondly, what is the timeless principle? What is the timeless truth? Because what we, what we know from the Bible is that, yes, it's 66 different books. It's, it's not just one book. It's a library. But it's telling one story. A story that points us, that leads us to Jesus. A story of how he creates and restores all things. It's it's the story of the kingdom of God moving towards its goal of God with us. And that helps us to know, okay, sometimes the bigger story can help us make sense of the smaller stories. For example, um, knowing that we are in the part of the story in the New Testament after Jesus helps us to know some of what's in the Old Testament, earlier on in the book. It doesn't mean the same thing to us now as it did to them then. We we worship differently. We pray differently. We're, We're empowered to live differently. And this doesn't mean we ignore the Old Testament because it's all profitable. It all points to Jesus. But it does mean that the current moment doesn't always match the original setting. And the timeless principle, if we're going to ask that question, it's like, okay, look, in light of how the first audience heard this, is there something that's true for us now How does this text shape my review of reality? Maybe especially, what does this tell me about what God is like? And this is where we can begin to move to step three. What is my response? This is where we prayerfully take a next step as a result of what God is saying. Here are three different types of next steps, three different types of responses. Uh, This was was given to me long ago, and I, I thought it was helpful. Three different types marked by a question mark, a light bulb, or an arrow. Question mark represents, our response could be a question to ask. And this might be the most important one. You, you might not feel like you do interpretation right. You might not feel like, I did step one properly. I did step two properly. You might all, only be left with a question to ask. And that's okay. I heard somebody share this this past week, and I thought it was so relevant for, for my life, and maybe it'll be for yours. Let me just listen what was shared. My relationship with the Bible is that I should daily spend time in it. We call it like a quiet time. I should be able to read a portion of it and then interpret it and then apply it to my life and then walk away with having kind of mastered that section to the degree that I now get it and now my life is going to adjust to what I got. There should be this sense that I've connected with God and he spoke to me. And so my experience though was, I would open the Bible, I would read something and I'd be like, what did I just read? I would have so many questions, I'd be flustered and feel like a failure, and then I would not want to do it anymore, and then I would go long stretches of not doing it. And then you'd kind of have to pretend that you are still doing it because that's what you are supposed to be doing, but it's embarrassing that you can't pull it off. Look, if that's you, as it has been me for, for many times when I've come to the Bible, maybe it's okay that our response is simply a question to ask. The Bible is meant to point us and to lead us to Jesus, and like any other relationship, there shouldn't be this pressure to to feel like every encounter needs to have taken us to the next step, the next level, to to make that type of progress. Maybe the time spent here is, is value enough of its own. Maybe the Holy Spirit can work on you in ways that you don't yet realize, and maybe leaving with a question is the right thing from time to time. And maybe as, as, as I've talked with some of, of, of you even heading into this message, sometimes the main question is simply, so what? God, help me to know, so what as a result? A second category, and we're not going to spend as much time on these last two, but the light bulb. This could be an insight to consider. A perspective about who God is, a perspective about how God works, a perspective on who we are. This might be a mindset to embrace. And sometimes this is the most common thing for me, to let God shape my view of reality. Maybe the light bulb is the response. And finally, it could be the arrow. This is an action to take, Uh, something to do. This is the one that maybe we find most easy to look for. What do I say? What do I do? What's the activity next? And and this is good because as we read in the book of James, we don't want to be hearers of the word only. We want to be doers. Three types of responses, whatever it is, question mark, light bulb, arrow. Don't forget that all of the Bible is meant to point us to Jesus. He's the point. He's the goal. Knowing him. And if scripture can lead us and others to life in him, I hope that today has been an encouragement to dig deeper. An encouragement not to, not to shut down when we get stumped or when we get stuck, but that there is a trustworthy word, a trustworthy road to take when the straight reading might feel inadequate. So let me leave us with these words that we already heard Peter say earlier that we all would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen.